0: Well, if you've been worshiping with us um, the last uh, several Sunday mornings, uh, you know that uh, Reverend Ehmeyer has been looking at different facets of our redemption, expiation, propitiation, reconciliation, and then this morning, uh, redemption. I thought it might be appropriate during this time as he's going through this uh, series um, to focus our attention tonight on the Savior and uh, what kind of Savior did we need? Uh, What qualifications uh, did he need to have uh, in order to accomplish all of these facets of our salvation um, that we are learning about? And I thought of uh, this passage from Colossians 2, 9 and 10 that we're going to focus on uh, this evening. It also connects in with with Lord's Day 14 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So I'd like to read uh, Colossians 2, 1 through 15 first. That's our preaching text tonight, Uh, but then also to uh, read Lord's Day 14. From the Heidelberg Catechism, that's found uh, in the hymnal on page 1,252, excuse me, 878, 878. So God's Word comes to us this evening first from Colossians chapter two. I'll read the first 15 verses, but we'll focus our attention on verses nine and 10. This is God's holy Word. in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And now our focus this evening. For in Him, that is Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. And now, Lord's Day 14 from the Heidelberg Catechism, we have two questions here. The first asks, what does it mean that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary? And the answer, that the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to Himself through the working of the Holy Spirit from the flesh and the blood of the Virgin Mary, a true human nature, so that He might also become David's true descendant like His brothers in all things except for sin. And then question 36, how does this holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? He is our mediator, and in God's sight, He covers with His innocence and perfect holiness my sin." in which I was conceived." We'll end the reading there uh, this evening. Well, friends, throughout the, uh, the history of the Christian church, believers have, uh, have tried very hard and sometimes struggled uh, to understand who Jesus is. Uh, in particular, they've, un- they've struggled to understand uh, Jesus' two natures and how they relate to one another and how that is important for our salvation as believers. The Bible clearly teaches that that Jesus is full and eternal God. That is essential to the Christian faith. What is also essential is that Jesus is also fully human. He has both a divine nature and a human nature. But how do those two natures relate to one another in the single person of Jesus Christ? And unfortunately, um, in the life of the church, in the worship of the church, there has sometimes been an imbalance in understanding uh, the relationship between Jesus' divine and human natures. And that imbalance sometimes rears its head uh, during the Advent season, during Christmas season, when we have all sorts of Christmas songs that talk about God coming to earth in human flesh, focusing on that great mystery… Uh, of the virgin birth. Uh, some songs that we sing during Christmas time tend to emphasize Jesus' divine nature, his divinity, at the expense of his genuine humanity. And perhaps uh, Exhibit A is the song Away in a Manger. We like that song, but listen to what it says Away in a manger, no crib for his bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying He makes. Now, I know a little bit more about crying babies than I used to. (laughs) And when our little girl was born, she cried quite a bit, and she's cried every single day since she was born. The cattle are lowing, the baby wakes, he's hungry. No crying he makes. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb, but he didn't cry in the cradle. Other Christmas songs tend to emphasize Jesus' humanity, but at the expense of his divinity. Uh, A long time ago, uh, a man named Jackson Brown wrote a song called The Rebel Jesus. Maybe you've never heard it before, but it's a song that was probably written during the 60s because it portrays Jesus as something of a social justice uh, warrior. He's come to preach against the systemic injustices of the Roman Empire. And uh, in the song, Jesus is portrayed as a poor, uh, marginalized, oppressed minority member who's come to earth to level the playing field, to take the power back for the lowly and disenfranchised. But he's a rebel. But is he God, the Son of God? Well, that's too much for that pop singer to admit But in contrast to popular music, uh, God's Word and and the catechism that I just read from is clear about the perfections, about the glories uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they teach us that it's essential to get the relationship between Jesus' two natures, human and divine, to get that relationship right. If we're to properly understand our salvation, if we're to understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. and Scripture and the confessions, these standards help us see that, that Jesus needed to be both God and man in one person in order to be our perfect mediator, in order to, to reconcile God. To us and, and Paul writes to the Colossians here and, and says, yes, in Christ, all the fullness of divinity, of deity, dwells bodily. And you, believers, he says, you have the fullness of God's presence and God's power in Him as your perfect mediator. So we're going to look at two things tonight, the, the qualifications of our mediator. What did Jesus need to be in order to save us? And then what's the payoff? What's the, what are the blessings? What are the benefits of having such a mediator for ourselves? Looking back at the Heidelberg Catechism a bit earlier on in the Catechism in Lord's Day 5, we confront uh, some very important questions and answers that have to do with our deliverance as sinners. In Lord's Day 5, question 12, the, the question is asked, Um, How can we as sinners escape God's righteous judgment? We are under the thumb of His judgment. How can we escape? And the answer is that, that God requires that His justice be satisfied. The claims of His justice must be paid in full either by us or another qualified mediator. And the question next is asked, can we do this? Can we make the payment to escape God's punishment And the obvious answer is no, we can't. In fact, every day we add to our guilt. The next question asks, can any mere creature pay the debt? And the answer is, of course, no. He's not going to uh, punish any other creature for what another human has done. Plus, another creature simply could not bear the eternal weight of God's wrath. And then question 15 asks this most important question. What kind of mediator then? What kind of deliverer? What kind of Savior do we need? What should we be looking for? And the answer is this. One who is true and righteous man, yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, one who is also God. What we need, the confession says, is a God-man. man to be our Savior. And the glorious news of the Gospel that, that Paul is proclaiming to the Colossians is that God has provided such a person that out of His goodness, out of His love, out of His undeserved kindness, God Himself stepped in to meet our great need as sinners by providing our perfect mediator. And He did so in a surprising way, in a miraculous way. God came into human flesh. God's true and eternal Son became the Son of a Jewish virgin girl. How incredible that the eternal God would enter not only into our time and our space, but He would enter into our own flesh, all the while remaining the eternal God. That's the great mystery of godliness, what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.16. God manifest on earth in our own flesh. And that's what Paul is saying here to the Colossians. I mean, he says in verse 9 that all the fullness of deity, all that is God, came to earth to dwell in a body like God. And Paul wants the Colossians to understand, he wants them to appreciate how necessary that was, that God's Son would come and take on our human flesh in order to be our mediator, in order to to reconcile God to us, to restore that relationship that had been uh, broken and needed to be repaired on account of sin. And remember that that was what the people of Israel longed for. I read a couple passages uh, from the Psalms. It talked about Israel's longing for the mediator that would come through David's line. The people of Israel would not have been surprised in hearing that God was going to come and dwell with them. After all, He had dwelt with them before in many ways. God uh, had come to dwell in the past with His people in the tabernacle and in the temple. But boys and girls, you know that those were simply temporary dwelling places for God's glory. If the temple and the tabernacle reminded the people of Israel of anything, it was that there was still this this great measure of distance between their holy God and they sinful people. God still remained very unapproachable under the old covenant. And so God's former ways of of dwelling with His people, tabernacling with His people, anticipated they looked forward to a better day when God and His people would finally be united and joined together, when the distance would be overcome and, and God would dwell intimately with His people once again. And that took place when the fullness of time God came to dwell with us in the fleshly tabernacle of Jesus Christ who took to Himself a genuine human nature. Paul says all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ who took on our nature, our flesh. And I I want us just to think for a moment about what a great and glorious mystery this is that God orchestrated for our salvation. That for us, in our redemption, the second person of the Holy Trinity who existed forever in unending glory with the angels exclaiming, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, that He would take to Himself a full, real human nature. God took on manhood. The Creator of heaven and earth willingly chose to, to live, to dwell in a creature. The potter took upon Himself the very clay which He had molded. The incarnation, Jesus coming to earth in our flesh, means that every attribute, every characteristic belonging to God the Son from all eternity, belongs to the person of Jesus Christ. The babe born in Bethlehem's manger is real and complete God. The fullness of God's grace and love and mercy are found in Jesus Christ. The fullness of God's justice and anger and hatred against sin dwell in Jesus Christ. And the babe in the manger did not cease for even a millisecond to be the ruler of the universe. Like Thomas, when he encountered the risen Jesus, we can only confess, my Lord, my God. We mustn't lose the wonder of what Jesus did in order to earn our salvation. And as we think about the meaning of this fullness, we must think about how necessary this great miracle was uh, to earn our salvation. In Lord's Day 6, question 16, the question is asked, Why must the mediator, Jesus, be a true and righteous man? The answer is, because God's justice requires that human nature, which has sinned, must pay for its sin. But here's the problem, a sinner could never pay for other sinners. There's a need here. The fullness of deity or divinity needed to dwell in the body of Jesus Christ so that we might be made full in Him. Jesus had to know, He had to touch, He had to experience our flesh and our blood completely. He had to enter our world. His blood spilled on Calvary's cross had to be real blood received from His human mother, Mary. Jesus Christ needed to be fully human, otherwise He could not be our perfect mediator. For as the Confession says, only a true human can pay for the sins of other humans. That's one side of the equation. The other side of our need is that He needed to be true God. We read in question 17, why must He also be true God? So that by the power of His divinity, He might bear in His humanity, in His flesh, the weight of God's wrath and earn for us a righteousness to restore us to righteousness and life. He could not be simply a son of David. He had to be more than that. He had to be true God. And that's something that that the people of Israel needed to learn. They they knew that the Redeemer, their, their Savior, was coming through the line of King David. And yet we know that no mere human was worthy to claim David's throne. No mere human could rescue his people from their sins. In fact, David's lineage, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you know that his lineage was really a complete failure. There were many wicked kings in the line of David. And we're reminded again, a sinner cannot pay for others. And so God, once again, out of, His, out of His grace, out of His love, He entered into human history in a miraculous way to meet our, our sinful human need. He provided a Savior King. And He did it in such a way to prove that our salvation from beginning to end is the work of God and not the result of human effort. What did God do? He, he chose a human vessel Mary. She was a virgin. And yet, miracles of miracles, she was with child. David's lineage was bankrupt. And so God stepped in and sent the only king worthy to take David's throne through a woman. Truly, Jesus is... David's legal heir to the throne through Joseph, Mary's husband. But it's through Mary and the work of the Holy Spirit upon her that the world receives a new son of David, Savior of the world. Once again, we see what was impossible with man is possible with God we needed a mediator who's both true and eternal God and at the same time a true perfect human being a son of David made like us in all things except for sin and who can produce such a mediator not sinful mankind only God And out of his immense love for us, he gave us a beautiful baby boy, the infant Jesus, without the will of man, conceived in sinless perfection by the power of the Holy Spirit, made like us in every way except for sin, so that he ever lives to intercede for us as our sympathetic high priest. He knows our weakness, he knows our pain, he knows our sadness and our depression, our sickness, and our loneliness. When we cannot reach up to God, He reached down in grace and love to us to take on weakened human flesh that we might be made full in Him. And that's what Paul means when he says, in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. But we might pause here and ask, so what? What benefit is it to us to know all this? We might think upon these things and and consider them uh, important only for seminarians to discuss. What's the practical payoff for us as believers? How does the, the incarnation of Jesus Christ touch me? Paul here in this passage says, uh, in many ways, he, he writes in verse 10 to the Colossians, he says, all fullness of deity dwells in Christ, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul is going to go on to describe how as believers, we have everything we need for life and for godliness in this Jesus Christ. And so, How does the incarnation benefit you? What are the blessings? Well, there are many. First, it means that Jesus Christ is qualified not just to be a mediator. He's qualified to be your mediator before the Father. He's qualified to be your mediator before the Father. And we know what mediators do. We have them today. Today. If a labor union goes on strike, let's say, the, the union and the, the management representatives, they sit down, they talk about their differences, they try to uh, come to uh, a conclusion. Sometimes the, the government labor board will supply a mediator, someone to sit down with both sides and, and try to get people back to work. And if that mediator is going to be a good mediator, if he's going to be successful, he needs to know both sides of the argument. He needs to understand both sides so that he can help bring peace. In marriage, sometimes uh, there's need for counseling. It helps if the mediator uh, knows something about being married and maybe even has his wife there to, to help him and to join him. Well, so it is with Jesus Christ. He is fully, completely qualified to be your mediator before the Father because he is both true God and true man in one person. The whole fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. He knows what God desires and expects and demands, he also knows what mankind hopes and fears and desires. You and I went on strike against God, so to speak. We sought a great divorce from our Creator when our parents rebelled in the garden, but God graciously sent a mediator perfectly suited to deal with our problem. And the infant child in Mary's arms is already your mediator and he would go on to suffer and die on Calvary in order to reconcile you to God. And that's the second benefit of our Lord's incarnation, his coming in the flesh, that in coming in this way he canceled your sinful debt against God at the cross. We read in Colossians 2:13 through 14, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus, the God-man, canceled our debt. Some of you know that before He became president, Abraham Lincoln uh, was a lawyer. He was a mediator. And one of the things He hated to see was when people would bring frivolous or unnecessary lawsuits. And one time a man wanted to bring a lawsuit for a measly $2.50 against a man who was basically penniless. Lincoln tried to dissuade him from going through with the lawsuit, but he was insistent. And so Lincoln put his uh, thinking cap on, and he said, well, I'm going to charge you a retainer of $10, and then I'm going to give to the defendant who then promptly paid the $2.50 that he owed. And that completely satisfied his angry client who at least felt that he had won his justified revenge. Uh, Lincoln, in his own way, successfully mediated a minor case, fought over a few dollars. But you and I, we owe an immense debt to God. We owe an unpayable debt because of our sinful rebellion against an infinitely holy God. And the glorious news of the gospel is that God has canceled that debt at the cross of Jesus Christ. His death could cover what we owed because Jesus has a fully human nature. He's qualified to pay for your sins in your place. His death, His perfect sacrifice canceled the debt of your transgressions because Jesus is also God. And by the power of His divinity, He bore the weight of God's anger in His humanity to earn for us, to restore to us a righteousness and eternal life. Paul rejoices in this at the end of, in the middle of chapter 1. For in Him, he says, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of His cross. What finally is the benefit of Christ's incarnation? Paul says we have been filled in Him. We share right now in Christ's power, in His authority over every rule and authority. After our passage tonight, he goes on and says in verses 11 and following, he says, in Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead and then later in verse 15 he says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him what paul is saying is is that there are all sorts of benefits blessings that you have received on account of jesus coming in the flesh as your savior we have put off the body of the flesh We've changed addresses. We've changed kingdoms. We no longer live in the realm of the flesh, chained to its sinful influence. We've been transferred into the kingdom of Christ, and we live through Him and in Him under His Lordship. In baptism, which he talks about in verse 12, we identify with Jesus in His death and His resurrection, and we're reminded that Christ has already vanquished the power of death and Satan. And He's empowering us right now by His Holy Spirit to live new lives of freedom and joy in Him. Our our, our VBS kids sang all week, in Him, true life and joy abound. And that's because Jesus came in this way, true God and true man. He has disarmed all rulers and authorities. He has triumphed over over them. And this triumphant King who first came to earth as a helpless baby ever lives to make intercession in heaven before God as your perfect mediator. And the only thing that remains is to heed the call of God's Word, to believe in this mediator, to revel in His perfections day after day, to love Him with all of your heart and all of your life. All the fullness of deity dwells in Him bodily. He alone can serve as your perfect mediator and so put your trust in Him. Believe that He will not and He cannot ever fail you, that you are sheltered forever under the protection of His mighty wings. Believe the promise of God's Word that when, when God looks at you he sees Jesus' innocence. He sees Jesus' perfect holiness dwelling bodily for you. And He promises that as you reach out to Him in faith, He will cover your sins in His blood and carry you to be with Him in eternal glory. Amen. Let's pray. Oh gracious Heavenly Father, it is our joy to meditate from Your Word upon the, the glories and the perfections of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Help us never to become bored with these things. Help us never to find these things too intellectual for us, but help us to realize that it was absolutely necessary for the eternal Son of God to come to earth and to humble Himself by taking to Himself our nature, our flesh, in order to be our perfect mediator. What a wondrous thing. What a wondrous, unfathomable grace and love we have received. Lord, may we never tire of contemplating these things and of responding in grateful obedience and praise for all that You have done for us, and in us, and also through us, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank You for Him, we praise Him, and we pray that our lives would be a reflection of our gratitude for this perfect mediator, Son of God, Son of Man, perfectly interceding for us before Your throne, for our salvation is in Him alone. You have provided all that we need through him. We praise you for him. And in his name we pray, amen.